please stand for the reading of the gospel. We read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 17, beginning at verse 11. On another occasion, as Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing along the border between Samaria and Galilee. When he entered a certain village, ten men with leprosy met him. Standing at a distance, they called out loudly, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. As they went away, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. He fell on his face, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus responded, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give glory to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go your way. Your faith has saved you. This is the gospel of our Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Your fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, who is super abundantly generous in his gifts of mercy to us. Selection season. And as such, it's also polling season. You know, the polls that they take of where voters stand on certain issues or with regard to certain candidates. I know that politicians and political pundits put a lot of value into polling data. I'm not sure I agree with them, though. I'm not sure that we can trust what polls have to tell us before this upcoming election for, for several reasons. For one, in past elections, especially in recent elections, the polling has been just totally inaccurate. The, the candidates and the issues that the polls said were going to win often did not. Another reason is that most polling, even today, is still done by phone. And the only phones in which there's a registry are landline phones, and a survey has come out and said that less than, or over 60% of people in America don't even have a landline anymore. So the, the potential pool of people that you can reach is, is very small. Uh, the other reason is that in polling, many people will just simply lie to the pollster. They will go along with whatever the popular opinion is of the day on any, re, you know, any relevant issue because they don't want to be outed to their friends and to the world. They don't want to be, as they call, canceled by society for holding an opinion that flows contrary to the majority of our world today. So I don't think you can really trust polling data. I don't know how accurate that is. And what does that have to do with the ten lepers before us this morning? Well, we're going to take a poll of them. And unlike political polling, it's not going to be based on a phone call. It's going to be based on the inspired words of Luke, who records their words and actions. So Luke tells us that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. That's a key to keep in mind throughout Luke's gospel, that beginning at chapter 9, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem, and that's where he was going to go. He was determined to go there to suffer and die for the sins of the world. But as he's on his way, he's passing along the border between Samaria and Galilee. That's in northern Israel. By many, it would have been considered kind of the, the backwoods of Israel. And as he's going, ten lepers come out to meet him, and they cry out, Lord, have mercy on us. 
Now, that may not strike us as New Testament Christians as being that strange, but they were really breaking protocol here. They were doing something that, according to God's Old Testament law, they really shouldn't have been doing. This is what the Lord commanded His people regarding people with skin diseases, including leprosy. In Leviticus 13, He says, The person with the skin disease who has an infection on him must wear torn clothes and let his hair be disheveled. He must cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! For as long as the infection is on him, he shall remain unclean. He is unclean. He must live alone in a place outside the camp. The leper, you know the term leper colony. They were supposed to stay away from the rest of the population in order to prevent a contamination, in order to quarantine themselves. And yet, these ten lepers were bold enough to come out of wherever they were living at the time, and they met Jesus on his way. And instead of crying out, unclean, unclean, they cried out, for mercy. Actually, it's stronger than a cry. In the Greek, they are actually commanding Jesus. They are telling him, you have to have mercy on us. And the question is, why? How could they be so bold and brash to not only break protocol, to, to come out and, and, and even though they were unclean, to meet with a group of people, of healthy people, how could they be so bold to do that? And then to demand that Jesus have mercy on them on top of it. Well, let's start with what it couldn't have been. What couldn't have been their motivation. It couldn't have been that they thought they deserved Jesus' mercy. And it comes out in that word, mercy. Mercy is kindness given to someone who does not deserve it. Mercy is what the, the convicted criminal begs for from the judge even though they, don't, they know they don't deserve it. Mercy is what the cheating wife asks, asks her husband for when she pleads with him not to leave. That's mercy, even though she doesn't deserve it. Mercy cannot be deserved. If it were, it wouldn't be mercy anymore. It would be a wage. It would be something that you had earned. So these lepers didn't go to Jesus because they thought they deserved anything from him, much less healing of their disease. So what was it? If it wasn't something in them, it must have been something in Jesus, right? What did they know about Jesus that made them so bold to break protocol, come and ask him for mercy? Well, back in Luke chapter 5, Jesus had healed another leper of his leprosy. He had cleansed him. And in Luke chapter 5, we're told that news of this healing spread throughout the land. They knew that Jesus, by his very nature, is merciful. And that's why they were so bold to come to him and demand healing from him. Demand that he have mercy on them because he is inherently merciful. Now, if someone were to take a poll of those of us gathered here this morning in the same regard, what would that poll find out? Would it discover that we truly come here, as we said in the confession of sins, as those who do not deserve to be called God's children? Or in the back of our minds and in the recesses of our hearts, do we kind of think, maybe, maybe I do deserve a little bit of mercy from God. You know, I'm not like those people out there, many of whom in Wisconsin are, are not worshiping. They are watching the Packer game this morning. I'm not like them. I'm better than them. 
I give of my time and my money and my energy to God's church. Maybe I do deserve a little something from God. But realize that if mercy were something that we could deserve, it wouldn't be mercy anymore. In fact, if we think we deserve forgiveness and love and mercy from God, we won't have it at all. Remember the the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? The Pharisee said, God, I thank you I'm not like all these other people. I thank you that I give a tenth of, of everything I own and that I worship you faithfully. And the tax collector, he couldn't even look up to heaven. All he could do is beat his breast and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And remember which of those left with forgiveness? Left justified? It wasn't the Pharisee who thought he deserved mercy. It wasn't the one who came into God's house thinking, I have earned this from God. It was the one who realized that he did not. If we come here thinking that we deserve something from God, we leave with nothing. Or maybe the the second question is, what, what do we really think about Jesus? How do we really think of him and his reputation? Do we really believe that he is a merciful Lord, that he wants nothing more than to give us what we don't deserve, to be kind to us even though we don't deserve for him to do it? Or do we still regard Jesus as kind of a scary judge? Do we, instead of breaking protocol and, and running up to him and crying out to him for mercy, do we, do we keep a distance? Do we, are we lacking in our prayer lives because we don't really think that Jesus can give us what we need? Do we only pray for little tiny tidbits, little scraps, rather than the major, the big issues in our lives, like, uh, I don't know, curing an incurable disease? What do we really think of Jesus? Do we regard him like those lepers did? That he is merciful. He is inherently merciful and he wants nothing more than to be merciful to us so that we can be as bold and as brash as they are. Go up and shake him by the collar and say, you are merciful, give me some of that mercy. Pray boldly and brashly like these men did because your Lord is merciful. There was a, a second poll taken of these, of these lepers. When Jesus saw, him, saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. As they went away, they were cleansed. The ten out of ten. The, the clear majority in this poll of lepers, they took Jesus at his word, they trusted his mercy, and they went on their way. Do you recognize how strange that is? Almost ridiculous? They came and begged for mercy. Clearly, they were asking for healing from their disease. And Jesus says, go. Get out of here. And they went. They went. They they simply took Jesus at his word. Now, it's strange because Jesus didn't say, go and you will be healed. It wasn't like his healing of the the leper back in Luke chapter 5 where Jesus actually told him, I do want you to be well, so be well. It wasn't even like the healing of Naaman who had leprosy in the Old Testament, when Elisha told him, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. There was nothing tangible for them to hold on to. There was, there was not even a promise from Jesus that they would be healed, and yet they listened. And they went. And they were cleansed. And so the lesson there is that while the Lord doesn't always tell us exactly how he's going to bless us for obeying his commands, he does promise that he will bless us. Do we actually put that into practice, though? 
especially when the commands that the Lord gives to us seem rather ridiculous and foolish by this world's standards. The Lord tells us to pray regularly for all of our elected leaders, even and maybe especially for the ones who enact policies that are contrary to God's will. Even those leaders who go out of their way to not only condone, but also to support and praise the murder of the unborn. Even those leaders who not only condone, but also go out of their way to support the gender transitioning of little children, ruining their bodies and ruining their lives. Those are the people that we ought to be praying for, our elected leaders. Do we listen to Jesus' command? Do we take Him at His word that even though I can't see how praying for someone so evil is going to be a blessing, do we go out and do it anyway? Jesus commands parents, those of us who are parents, that the highest priority in our children's lives should be training them in the fear and knowledge of the Lord. Do we do that? Even when it doesn't make sense? Do we do that even when it seems like there are other activities, other avenues, other distractions that are more important than something like coming here to worship the Lord and to receive His Word? Something more important than spending an additional hour so that our children can sit at Jesus' feet in Sunday school? Something more important, something more pressing than having daily devotions with our children, teaching them that the Bible is not just something for a church, the Bible is something for the home and the bedroom and the office, and the school, and, yes, the hospital room. That, that is the highest priority the Lord wants us to have for our children. Do we take Him at His word and trust that He will bless us when we carry out that command? Maybe one of the most difficult commands that the Lord has given us in our modern culture is that we are to stand up and speak out against all injustice, all immorality, we are to stand up and we are to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, whether it's politically correct or not, whether it will get you fired from your job or not, whether it will alienate you from your friends and family or not, no matter how countercultural it may be, to stand up and speak out for what is right when our world is following a path of doing what is wrong, we are called to speak up no matter the cost. Do we do that? Do we understand that? Do we follow the Lord's command even though you don't know how it's going to work out as a blessing? But you do have the promise that the Lord will bless you when you obey Him. So those are the first two poles of these lepers. We, we see that in both cases, the majority was right. Ten out of ten of them were right. We're breaking protocol, begging Jesus for mercy, and then obeying him when he said, go show yourselves to the priests. But in our third poll, we see that the majority is horribly wrong. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus responded, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give glory to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go your way. Your faith has saved you. Now, I'm sure that most of you have heard this text preached on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving Eve or Thanksgiving Day. And, and if you're like me, then, then the main point that was drawn out of this is that the other nine were ungrateful and only the one was grateful for what Jesus had, did, 
had done for them. But Jesus doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't either commend the one for his gratitude, and he doesn't, he doesn't uh, despise the other nine for their lack of gratitude either, does he? What does he say? What does he point out that they were missing? He says they did not return and give glory to God. In other words, well, well they, they didn't return to give thanks to the Lord. Can you imagine them not being grateful in their hearts for the healing that they found? Only a psychopath would, would fail to be thankful for what had happened to them. But they, what they didn't do was recognize two things. First, they did not recognize that the God that they should be thanking was standing right there in front of them in the flesh and blood of Jesus. The second thing they didn't realize was that they needed more than just the healing of their rotten flesh. That what they really needed and what that miracle of healing was supposed to lead them to was to seek Jesus so that he could heal their rotten hearts. Now what does this have to tell us? This, this poll where the majority is wrong and only the small minority is right. What does this have to tell us today? Well, you know the old saying, there are no atheists in foxholes, right? And, and the idea behind that saying is that when, when life gets really hard, when, when you don't have anywhere else to turn for help, maybe when your life is in danger or, or you do feel like death is coming up on you, that most people will turn to God, or at least their idea of God, when life comes to that point. Now, I'm not sure that that's always the case, especially in our society today where God has all but been removed from the public discourse, but it is true in many cases that when all else fails, when there's nothing else you can do, people will turn to God. We, we saw that take place just 20 or so years ago, right? Remember the weekend after 9-11, churches were absolutely packed. People were frightened, they didn't know what was going to happen, and so they turned to the the only source of goodness they could, they turned to God. Unfortunately, that wore off pretty quickly. We see it when politicians and celebrities, you know, when there's, whenever there's a, a mass murder, there's a mass shooting, there's a natural disaster like Hurricane Ian, what do they say? Our thoughts and our prayers are with the victims. Even if it's coming from someone whose policies are absolutely contrary to Scripture, they will say our thoughts and prayers are with them. Maybe you see it in your own life. Maybe you have family members who could care less about church, who haven't been to church for years. But when they're suffering, when they're struggling, they say, would you please pray for me? They, they finally are led to turn to God. But it's, it's a generic type of God, right? But even so, isn't it amazing how God frequently answers those prayers for mercy? Even if the person has gone years, maybe their whole lifetime, without ever reaching out to him, without ever worshiping him, how God often provides. I mean, just think of the devastation after Hurricane Ian. Did you see the pictures of the legions of linesmen, the, the ones who would go and repair the power lines, the, the legions of, of Coast Guard workers who went to rescue people from their homes, the legions of Red Cross workers who went to hand out food and water. Did you see all of that as coming from the hand of God? That people were in need and God was working through regular human beings like us to satisfy that need? 
And I don't think that the, the, the ones on the receiving end lack gratitude either, do you? I mean, did you see any of the pictures of the people being plucked by a helicopter off of the, the roof of their house? Or, or the one that stuck with me was, was where a tanker truck pulled up to a, a mobile home um, area where, where they were running their homes off of generators. And, and they were so grateful. So the issue is not with failing to turn to God for help. The issue is not with failing to be grateful. But where do those people turn? Where do they return to Jesus recognizing that He is the source of the mercy that they have received? More importantly, do they return to Jesus with the understanding that the mercy that He has shown them in taking care of this physical need is meant to lead them to realize that they have an even greater spiritual need. That just like these lepers, they may have healing of their flesh, but what they really need most is the healing of their hearts. They need the forgiveness of sins. That's the problem. And the sad fact is that in our country, the majority is very, very wrong, and that majority is growing by the day, and the minority of those who actually return to Jesus and worship Him as God and ask Him, for the one thing that the Red Cross and the Coast Guard can't provide that is the forgiveness of sins is sadly growing smaller by the day. Maybe even in our own families. Fewer and fewer are returning to worship our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the issue is not gratitude. I think most people are, grat are grateful when they receive physical gifts, when they receive God's mercy. But if we make if we make it the story all about gratitude and ingratitude, aren't we turning mercy into a transaction? Is God merciful to us because we're thankful for it? I mean, that, that would be like making it out to be, remember when you were little, you receive a gift from someone and what does your mom say? Now, what do you say? Is that the transaction that we have with God, that he's only merciful to us because we are, great, we are grateful, because we say thank you? Of course not. How many times have we not said the thank you? How many times have we not been grateful and yet the Lord has been merciful to us anyway? Rather, in a, in a way that, that I can only describe as divine. It could only have come from heaven. The Lord is merciful to us in order to lead us back to Jesus begging for even more mercy. Right? That, that one leper came back not just to say thank you to Jesus, but because he recognized that the real healing he needed was not physical, but spiritual. He recognized that his need for Jesus' mercy didn't end with his physical healing, but would go on until he had taken him out of this world to heaven. Now, Paul puts it this way. He says, Do you have so little regard for his rich kindness, his restraint, and his patience that you ignore the fact that the purpose of God's kindness is to lead you to repentance. In other words, in this weird way, God is merciful to us with the whole goal that His mercy would lead us to come back to Him asking for even more mercy. That's why we say in the common table prayer, Come Lord Jesus, be our guest, and let these gifts to us be blessed. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy 
endures forever. If we want a day without God's mercy, that would be our last day on earth. So, so where do we do this? The, the leper was able to return right to Jesus and fall down on his feet. How do we return to Jesus and beg him for more mercy? Well, that's what we're doing right now, aren't we? And when we return to our baptisms, Paul says, whoever has been baptized into Christ clothed themselves with Christ. We, we do it in the absolution when we hear week after week that when you forgive people's sins, they are forgiven, and if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. We do in the Lord's Supper where the Lord promises to give us through his true body and blood healing not for our bodies, but healing for our souls, the forgiveness of sins. This is a place where we return to recognize that Jesus is a God we should be thanking and that our real need is not some physical malady out there, but the spiritual healing of our hearts and our souls. And the good news is, is that this is the only place that you can find God. This is a place that you can find Jesus. And this is the only place on earth where you will leave and you will be told, get up, go on your way. Your faith has saved you. You won't hear that from the Red Cross. You won't hear that from the Coast Guard. And no politician can give you that. But here, Jesus can, and he does. So I don't know about you. I don't really trust polling anymore, political polling. But I think there is something that we can learn from these polls of these ten lepers. The majority can be right, but the majority can also be very wrong. If you have someone you're thinking of in your mind who has not returned to Jesus in a long time. That question is kind of haunting, isn't it? Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine that I have been so merciful to? Why have they not returned? Why have they not seen their need for forgiveness rather than just physical healing? Where are they? Well, the polls don't tell us, but if they're not here at Jesus' feet, you know where, where they will end up. May God grant us the grace that we would be found in the minority because the minority recognizes that God is merciful to us so that we would come back more to him more and more, begging for more mercy, which he just loves to give out. In Jesus' name, amen.